game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D dynasty. It it's automatic owner's manual. It it it's automatic D dynasty. It it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors, C Chris Allen and A A Adam Wildy. Uh, all right, and uh, well, everybody, welcome back. Uh, this is, I forget which episode it is, but we're just going to go ahead and get started because our guest tonight uh, here with us uh, really needs no introduction. I mean, if you're even the the most casual listener in terms of fantasy football, uh, you know who our guest is here tonight. Uh, we're starting all the way, going back a couple of years to the Backyard Banner podcast, all the way up until the work that he's doing now with, with Yahoo!, and the rookie orientation. Uh, we have the, the creator of Reception Perception himself. We have Matt Harmon with us. And Matt, of course, uh, for anybody else that follows my work knows that a lot of my quote-unquote success in this industry is largely tied to Bearded League that you and I did a few years back, and we had a, a ton of fun doing that. And just the inspiration that I've had in order to kind of you know trek out and try and, uh, you know, make my way in this community so of course this is huge for me and i really appreciate you taking the time but i mean how, how are you doing tonight man and what what do you what are we looking forward to uh, tonight and also with what you what your current projects that you have going on right now man well i mean thank you for such a uh, an overly flowery introduction you know i, I that's too much too much too much chris <laughs> I, know you, I know that about you we have to we have to do this I know, but uh, yeah, I do appreciate you guys having me on. Um, it's a fun time to kind of decompress a little bit before you know everything gets really wild in July and August when things really start to become officially crazy with football season. So I, I do love to kind of take this sort of more calm view of things right now and we can still kind of talk about player values or player projections in almost in a theoretical way so i'm looking forward to talking with you guys tonight and yeah it's it's been it's been a fun uh ride chris you know i think that you you know yeah you're one of the people that were really cool this in the backyard banter you know all the different type of things and, and made that show such a fun thing and frankly a project that i really miss doing um, and unfortunately, like if I could make any, if I could, you know, really make a profitable podcast off of that, I would have loved to do it, but it just, you know, wasn't in the cards, <laughs> but, um, you know, nevertheless, you're doing a lot of fun things right now with Yahoo, you know, reception perceptions in the bank with the ultimate draft kit. And, um, now I'm just looking forward to taking a little bit of time off. And then when they come back, you know, it's full, full blown, everything is coming. So, uh, I'm looking forward to just chopping it up with you guys tonight. So, Adam, can you explain the positional series that we're starting and also talk to Matt specifically about what we're trying to look for in terms of the video portion of the show? You're, you're coming in for the first episode of the positional series with us. And what we really want to do is we want to tackle the positions and have the listeners leave 
essentially experts of the the position because what we're finding and what we're going to get to in the first question is that uh, there's a lot more to being good at fantasy now than there was say four or five years ago and that's partly because of a lot of the work you're doing so definitely kudos for that there's a lot more things that you need to know about to really dominate your fantasy leagues and there's not so much of an edge just uh, between the people that watch ESPN and the people that don't anymore. So uh, basically we just want to jump right into talking about wide receivers a little and really will the edges in uh, in fantasy football in your opinion start shifting towards the people who are really digging into some of your content and some of the deeper stuff like uh, their market share in college and their dominator score and things like that. Is that how people are going to start finding their success in the future? I think the key is really being well-versed in a lot of different pieces of methodology, a lot of different pieces of study when it comes to the position because – or I mean frankly any position because I think that anybody that tells you that they have you know, like a skeleton key to figuring it all out, um, I think you should be a, you should be worried about that <laughs> that analyst in particular. Um, you know, I would not claim that reception perception has all of the answers when it comes to wide receivers and I don't think that most people – I don't think most people that do work like that, that, you know, where they're charting the position or really sitting down and watching players over and over again, that they, that they would claim the same thing, which is, you know, pieces of the puzzle together with uh, something, something like a reception perception, you know, I think is a piece to the puzzle. Then, you know, you mentioned other studies, other things too, other methods of evaluation, like college market share and things like that. I think the key is just, there's definitely an information edge. Um, which is in just it's how much time do you want to commit to this? Uh, that's a, that's a question that I think a lot of people have to ask. So sure. I, I think that, yeah, there's it's really just the wealth of information out there and being able to be smart about, OK, what do what do I consume for purely an entertainment perspective versus what do I consume for, you know, really hardcore information or what do I, you know, frankly, I don't you know, this is something I don't necessarily trust. Um, it's just somebody's opinion. And I'm going to sure I'll read that because I like the writer. I like the analyst, but I'm I'm not going to let that like sway me one way or another. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there like that, too. So I think really it's just about being smart about the information that you're taking in, you know, not necessarily so much like one metric or one stat or one area of study is going to be the thing that kind of gives you that great edge. And we have a lot of freely used metrics now that, uh, you know, people know yards per target and slot rate. And uh, Josh Hermsmeyer is making air yards a, a common practice at this point. I think something that I dug into a lot last year playing DFS and something on the show that we preach is kind of getting a stranglehold on all the different types of fantasy because they can all help each other. One of the things that I've noticed has helped me quite a bit is just snap share percentages. Um, that's one of the things that people have been looking into a lot more lately. And uh, it helps on a weekly basis for sure. Um, what cornerback you're going against, uh, how a team covers the slot, things like that. Do you find a big difference between uh, positional uh, percentage uh, week to week basis and on a yearly basis? I mean, is that an edge that you can uh, kind of identify in a player on uh, on a yearly basis? I like what you said about the different types of fantasy, you know, informing each other, because, you know, I think about daily fantasy has really made us smarter about constructing week to week rosters, because, look, season long fantasy, we spend so much damn time 
talking about the draft and talking about this one big moment because I mean, it rocks, you know, the draft is great. It's a lot of fun. It's by far the thing that I think most people get the most jazzed up with about fantasy. You know, people have these giant home draft parties. They have live drafts. You know, you're, even if you're doing your one yearly draft with all your friends and you're in, you know, you're in the chat, you know, uh, talking trash to each other, whatever, it's a big thing. But at the same time, it is just one piece of the puzzle. I think Matt Waldman says it really well, that it's like one leg to a table. You don't make a table stand up with just one leg. Uh, You need the rest of it. And, you know, I don't remember off the top of my head what the other three stand for, but, you know, it's like in-season roster roster management, week-to-week decisions, trades, you know, that type of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think DFS has made us smarter about constructing rosters in terms of, okay, how do I approach this from a matchup perspective versus also how do I approach this from this is the way this guy scores fantasy points. And to that end too, I think best ball has made us smarter about drafting, uh, you know, or looking at ceiling to floor range of outcomes. You know, you don't want to have a super volatile team all the way around. You don't want to have 11 Deshaun Jackson's on your roster. You know, you want to mix in, some guys that have safer floors if you're going to take on that volatility. So I think that's something that the more types of fantasy that you play, I think you get better at each individual kind. Uh, So I think that's something too. And just, you know, yeah, I think that deployment stats are key, you know, especially in fantasy, especially in daily fantasy for sure. And like routes run for wide receivers, where they're running routes on the field, I think that's crucial because – Especially slot stats are 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 really 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 key as well. So yeah, I think deployment stats are are ones that if you're really going to pay attention to something because it's just objectively this is what's happening. I think that's a, a big one to use. And Jarvis was my poster child for the uh, floor play after you drafted to uh, a wide. I like to go to wide receiver early. I would go a volatile wide receiver one and two, and then you would grab Jarvis as your as your floor play. So I really like that you mentioned that. Yeah, and I think when it comes to evaluating just the position as a whole, I think, especially from the wide receiver position, I think, Matt, what you've kind of highlighted over the years doing reception perception is understanding, I think the the phrase has been used by Josh Norris quite a bit, is how they win. And I think as dynasty owners, I think just as fantasy football owners in general, I've been trying to understand how the player operates or how their talent can be maximized on the field is something that we want to try and understand the most. Like we know that Devontae Adams and uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Julio Jones, I mean, all of those wide receiver ones that we really love, we know that they can succeed once they get on the field. But how do they do that? And then, of course, that would translate down into the the wide receiver twos or any of the other ancillary pieces within those same offenses, so like the Chris Godwins of the world and things of that nature. So when it comes to evaluating college receivers as they transition into the NFL, is it really important or is it critical to understand how they win? In ter- and so as they transition into the NFL, do we need to know that? I don't know, Chris Godwin, he was a part of an offense that ran mostly West Coast concepts, so he needs to be in an offense that really can speak to those talents or he would be you know, maximized or used in, on those same types of routes. I mean, so did those things have to occur, or at the end of the day, do we seem to know that they're just really good receivers or the understanding the types of routes that they were able to win on are going to make them, I guess, primary targets or should make them primary targets in their offense once they get to that stage? 
Well, it's a it's a great question and one that probably doesn't have a universal answer. Uh, That's fine. Yeah. And I think that you what you what you're saying about deploy like understanding deployment and how these guys are being used is probably the the most key thing of any of it. You know, for for example, um, you look at a guy like Cooper Cup and how he's used in L.A. I think he has probably the most unique role of anyone any receiver in the NFL, you know, I tweeted out some of this, some of his reception perception data about a month ago or something while I'm accumulating for the ultimate draft kit and showing just how infrequently he faces press coverage and how frequently he faces zone coverage. You know, we're talking like more than almost any other receiver in the NFL that I've charted over the last five years. So he has just such a unique role in this in this current Rams offense that it's hard to compare him to other wide receivers and that's key too because especially when you're studying prospects you have to keep in mind a wide receiver is not a wide receiver is not a wide receiver you know these guys are all doing very different things their roles give them very very different assignments you know on a player to player basis and i think that's something you have to keep in mind when you're looking at prospects because what's the point of comparing what is the what's the point of comparing a mike evans to a marquise brown they're going to do things very differently what's Mm -hmm. like who out there is going to compare um you know calvin johnson to wes welker like what they're they're not even playing the same position really right and then you see that come to fruition at the nfl level where you know a guy like cooper cup like had he gone to another situation where a team mis-evaluated him incorrectly evaluated him and said hey this is a guy we're going to stick on the outside he's going to have to beat a lot of press man coverage he's probably not doing no he's not doing what he's doing today i'll just i'll just say that absolutely you see other receivers then thriving in that same role uh kiki cute who uh is planning is it kiki cutie kiki cute i'm i gotta we gotta figure this out i think like he normally says kiki cutie and like you can hear the love in his voice whenever he mentions it (laughs) (laughs) so we'll take so we'll take that so so kiki cutie in tex in the texans he's he's kind of got a cooper cup ish role when you look at reception perception data you know the percentage of routes he's running against zone coverage if that carries over into this next year maybe he's a player you're higher on because you understand how productive that role can be so i think a lot of it is just understanding where like how are these guys going to be used within certain roles juju's a great example too because he his role was almost completely i'm like again might as well be playing a different position from his Mm -hmm. former teammate antonio brown right i saw the the, uh the was it the usage or whatever or the coverage rates that they saw last year i saw you tweet that out earlier today Yes, it's. I mean, it's drastically different. Again, the assignment that Antonio Brown has on a route-to-route basis is just so so different than what Juju Smith-Schuster is being asked to do. And you know, will that carry over this year for Juju? I, I don't know. It would seem odd that they would take him out of a very familiar role and something he's proven to be good at. But it is. It's at least something worth tracking. And yeah, I think the, so. That's the key when you're looking at these guys and how they're going to translate to the NFL level. You got to ask. What role do they best fit into? Because if you can't identify that, then you're then you're asking too many questions at once. Now, Matt, you just mentioned Kiki Kuti, and you just kind of stole my thunder. I actually have him penciled in with a question mark on my printed out show sheet right here. It's it's it was the same thing in my mind, but kind of what you're referring to when you talked about Cooper Cup was the offense. And I'd like to think that a lot of that has to do with the position that Sean McVay puts Cooper cup in, in identifying what he's good at. So 
we just talked about Sigmund Bloom. Eventually, I'm just going to have to be a sponsor of his. But the show, <laughs> The Audible, is so damn good. Uh, just today, I was listening, and he said there's really about eight to ten offenses that you could just focus on and make your fantasy teams out of those offenses, and you'd have a productive fantasy team. I mean, you might be able to win a championship if you just side that identified those offenses. Problem is, they change every year, but. After you do reception perception and after you look at all these wide receivers individually, how much stock are you putting into the offense they're playing on, the coaching staff, the uh, the situation they're in, if they're going to get utilized correctly? Oh, it's huge. I mean, you don't want to plant a good plant in bad soil. You know, it's not going to grow. And I think that that's the, that's the thing with offenses is – the third receiver in Kansas City might be worth more than the number two receiver in, you know, a less healthy offense. So when you're thinking about late round guys, especially, maybe you just want to take those chips on in good soil. You want to take those bets on those players. Um, if you think offenses have a chance to outperform, you can bump, you know, certain receivers up. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a huge factor. Um you know, you want to just generally you want your player. It's it's very intuitive. You know, you want your players in offenses where there's going to be a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns. And, you know, the the hot, the more beefy the pie is, the more valuable each slice becomes. And that that is true as you go up and down, you know, the offensive ranking. So I think that's something you absolutely have to look at. Sure, and there's another DFS concept right there. Uh, just get the best offense with your really cheap wide receiver. But uh, we're going to jump into a really fun portion here, which is we're going to talk about some of the actual traits, and that's some of the things that you identify in uh, reception perception. And then we'll get into some some film and see what you are looking at there. Uh, so basically when you're evaluating wide receivers for reception perception, is there a few traits that you look at and you're like, yep, I'm excited about that guy? or a couple of traits where you're like, he's just not going to get past that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a route running snob. Uh, <laughs> what can it, what can I say? The guys that run routes and separate really well, especially if you're going to be an X receiver, you're going to play on the outside. I think you've got to be able to get off press. You got to be able to get off the line of scrimmage. Well, and those are the players that I think carve out long-term successful roles. Those are guys that, have a chance to exceed expectations um this year a guy like curtis samuel comes to mind that when i'm looking at him in reception perception and he's you know at like the 94th percentile in success rate versus man coverage you know that's a player that i'm really excited about because i think route running is stable over you know year over year more so than you know yards after catch or contested catch performance or some guys that contested catch wise that do well every year but it, the the route running part of it is something the receiver can control. Yeah, you could face better or worse cornerbacks at the end of the day, but if you're a good technician that can run routes and can separate, I believe based on the the data that I've looked at with reception perception that that ability is much more stable than others. So I, I think that that's something that I look at. Can this guy run routes like a pro? Can he can he uh, separate on a route to route basis? Those are players I'm feeling better about than maybe your yards after catch mavens or your contested catch players. And I think that we saw a lot of that highlighted, especially in the piece that you wound up doing. Uh, well, actually, in the rookie orientation for Marquise Brown, 
And I think a lot of what he was able to do, like while he was still in college, like at Oklahoma, even though he was catching passes from, you know, a prolific quarterback in Kyler Murray, it's that we saw a lot of his talents on the field, like whenever he was just able to blow past corners, uh, beat safeties, I mean, things of that nature. But now, I guess in the dynasty community, now transitioning from the rookie receivers and even some of the guys that have been in the league for a couple of years, a la Curtis Samuel, now we're starting to look at what's the value of some of our older receivers. So we've got mm. A.B. out in Oakland. Can't wait to see how hard Knox turns out. Uh, <laughs> we got A.J. Green. I mean, T.Y. Hilton. I mean, some of these other guys Ooh, that are yeah, kind of hitting, hitting some of those thresholds that we start to consider like, okay, well, how many more years did they really have left? So what do they still have in the tank or how much value can they bring to our dynasty squads? So can you walk us through or can you or do you have an idea of any traits that once you start to see them recede, it's time for us to maybe pump the brakes on it? I know that Matthew Friedman, if I'm not mistaken, the Oracle, he had that piece last year on AB about looking at some of his it looked like his speed was had lessened over the last couple of years. So are those some of the things that you start to notice as well when some of the players start to get into that 29, 30, age 31 type season? Yeah, it's only natural to ask yourself what, you know, speed and explosiveness going to be the first thing to go because that's just, you know, look, a, a big receiver who knows how to win contested passes, I think, you know, can time their jumps well, you know, can box out defenders, you know, because those aren't necessarily things that, that change with age. But we uh, look, we all slow down. That's the inevitability of aging and of the body process. Uh, so I think that we have, you know, th- these 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 things to look at with wide receivers. And I think that one thing I, I I think that reception perception has not been good at has been identifying you know age cliffs because um, there has to be for a lot of these guys. There's some of them. There's steady declines. Others there have been cliffs. You know, Andre Johnson's a great example when he left Houston. To go to Indy, I was still really excited about him based on his final season reception perception in um, in Houston, and you could see right away, right away in Indy, that guy was done. You know, he was even preseason; it was it was over. And then also on, at that same token, you know, I was screaming to the rooftops when Des Bryant was released by Dallas that this guy is done based on his reception perception data, you know, that he, he has to undergo a role change uh, in order to, to still thrive as an NFL player. Cause based on finishing below the 10th percentile in success rate versus man and press coverage, his final season in Dallas um, that, that you should, you, sh- you, you know, you, you can't, you can't be an outside X receiver doing that anymore at this stage of your career. You've clearly slowed down. However, the season prior, the data looked fine. So, that that cliff was not predicted. So that's something that I've always I've always cautioned people like if you're looking at an older player keep in mind that just cuz we haven't seen the cliff yet doesn't mean it might not come. I I'm hoping someone like AJ Green who's still performing really well in reception perception that that cliff isn't coming for him even though he's started to rack up injuries to the lower body unfortunately. So I think the the, the key thing though is one thing that makes me feel better about these players is can they start to change their role and do they have the skill set to change that role? Because it's one thing for someone to sit here and say, hey, Des Bryant needs to be a Larry Fitzgerald type player in order to still thrive despite the fact that he can't get open on the outside anymore. 
Um, but does Dez have the desire? Does Dez have the the skill set that it takes to make that positional change? Because again, as we're saying earlier, those assignments are just so different that you can't just say it's just going to happen. Um, I think Antonio Brown has a great skill set to transition outside of that X receiver role that he's played almost exclusively for the Pittsburgh Steelers the last three to four years. So that's one that I'm like, okay, I feel better about that because we've seen him play in, you know, we've seen him play inside a little bit, depending on the year we've seen him play as a flanker a little bit, you know, about five years ago when he started to break out for Pittsburgh. So that I think is the key thing is, okay, yes, skill is going to naturally erode and i think that it's really tough to predict age cliffs no matter what and i think everybody's body's different which makes this even more difficult but is the team going to be creative enough imaginative enough to do what they can from a role perspective to kind of negate some of the effects of those changes now matt i'm going to step away from the show sheet for just a second and i we we took a kind of a pessimistic view on how we can see these guys regressing and in dynasty hopefully potentially trade them at their arc and get the most value because that's something we preach constantly get what you can out of your player when they reach the mountaintop you got to get rid of them let's talk a little more optimism here can you tell me why julian edelman seems to succeed in his role and why it doesn't seem like he's going to slow down anytime soon yeah, that's a good it's a good one because that that role actually I think you know keep in mind what an X receiver has to deal with, you know, a player like AJ Green or someone that's working on the boundary, you know, they're not getting pummeled over the middle like by linebackers and safeties. Um I always remember the way that it went so quickly for Wes Welker um being that type of player cuz he took a lot of punishment. Edelman, I think we have seen injuries start to creep in, concussions be an issue, you know, whatever. So that's something to monitor for those players as they age in that role. But I think just the fact that, again, it's just the, how many layup receptions you get as that slot receiver in a good offense, you know, where you are facing zone coverage, you have these wider windows. I think that leads itself to a longer shelf life uh, because of just the ease of your job. You know, it's not – I'm not saying that to discredit anybody that is a slot receiver, but – it is just verifiably true that you're going to see less tight window targets. You're going to see less press coverage. You're going to see less, you know, man-to-man coverage when you line up inside because that's just what defenses have to deal with. You know, if you're not in nickel, you might end up lined up with a linebacker. You might end up lined up with a safety. Uh, that's the nearest defender when you get the ball thrown your way. And I think that makes your life a whole lot easier. Easily verified by the desire to put Devontae Adams in the slot, too. I mean, it seems like eight to ten years ago that would have been a a dream. Uh, That would have been never considered Michael Thomas or Devontae Adams in the slot. So great point. I don't know why more teams aren't lining their number one receivers up in the slot more often, frankly. You know, this was something I was tweeting about based on like next gen stats data last year, because, again, what I just said, like the the infrequency of tight window targets, press coverage targets, um, just the wide open, the more wide open windows that you're going to get playing on the inside. That to me just seems smart. You know, Keenan Allen being a guy who they're going to use inside. 
Michael Thomas is, of course, a great one to mention because he's primarily play, primarily playing X receiver, you know, mm-hmm. and one of the best separators on the outside on the planet. But when they line him up inside, Drew Brees knows to go and look for him uh, because mm-hmm. that of that ease of that matchup. So I don't know why more teams aren't lining up guys inside. You know, I think that I'd love to see Julio Jones be a 30 to 40 percent slot player as he ages. I'd I'd love to see. Odell Beckham line up in the slot in Cleveland a little bit, even though they have Jarvis Landry. Who cares? You know, get your most mm-hmm. deadly weapon into a spot where he can be deployed well. And I'm wondering though, and maybe this could be something to to look at over the like the mounds of data that you have. But I guess are there any indicators that would at least help tell the story or provide the narrative that those these types of receivers, those guys that normally play on the outside, those X receivers could actually transition into that role. Do they have the skill set? And would that be based off of the types of routes that we see them run like right now? So players that do like some of those uh, either like drag routes, quick hitch routes, or anything where they can create separation on the outside, would those be like the types of indicators that you'd be looking for now to say that, well, in five, six years, once they get to the age 29, 30, se- you know, 29, 30 season, they could transition into that role where, all right, they're not going to be get hit as often. They can probably extend the life of their career for maybe three or four more years, something like that. Yeah, I think just the frequency of in-breaking routes is a great one to mention because, yeah, when you're on the inside, you're going to have to run a lot of in-breaking routes. Uh, also, just the ability to change direction at the top of the route is important because – Think about those option routes that Landry or Julian Edelman run where it looks like they're coming inside and they fake back outside and then they just get a layup reception that way. Doug Baldwin's another guy that did that during his time in Seattle, another slot receiver. So those are the traits that I think you look for, that quickness at the, at the top of the route, the ability to separate there because that's going to be important on both in and out breaking routes from the slot. Absolutely. Okay. And I think that's that's perfect. And I think that's a wonderful setup for what we're trying to do next. And hopefully for the folks listening uh, in on the pod later on, we'll we'll get an idea of what we're doing here. So what we're going to do here in this next segment is we want to see what Harmon sees. So whenever, uh, Matt, whenever you would sit down and like go through the hours of tape that you would do in order to create reception perception, we'd like to get an idea of the things that you're looking for, like if you were to be watching film or watching the, a game replay, something like that. So what I've done is I've come up with a few cut-ups of some current players and also some of uh, and, a, and one of the rookies. And I like to walk through it, and you show us what you see. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, pull up one of the uh, one of the clips right now. And just to start us off, since we were talking about the transition that some players have to undergo in order to extend their careers, we figured we'd start off with the, one of the perfect examples. Because Larry Fitzgerald, I think, in how he was, has been used over his career, I think kind of sets the archetype for what we would expect for aging receivers in the future. We would want to see somebody that can be used on the outside, was also used uh, along the along the interior as well. But as they get a little bit older, we want to get them away from some of those hits. We want to get them away from some of that press coverage. So they turn into a primary slot receiver, and that is Larry Fitzgerald. That has been his career. Uh, so one of the first things that I wanted to bring up, uh, so this is from the 2011 season, uh, when they were playing against the Browns. So, Matt, can you walk us through uh, this play that we have right here for him, like, as you see it? So really just about the, the release as he, as he goes through and as, he, um, as he's able to on the release from the, from the ball or as the ball is snapped 
and what he's able to do uh, with the res- uh, against the cornerback in order to gain separation almost immediately. Something I yeah. guess we don't see as much now. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, this is going to show you a little bit of the role change that we've seen with Fitzgerald because that's definitely not as much of what you're going to see from him. But I love the way, you know, that he's sticking to the inside here because the corner, he's, he's looking in the backfield this entire time. So you know that this is going to be a zone coverage play. So sticking on the inside, the corner is going to go back outside. It gets him a little bit more space here and uh, when, when he gets to the top of that route. And so by staying on the inside of that release, I really like the way he's done that there. So the hand fighting, I mean, immediately creating that separation, I think that's what, I think for, for him at that time, I think that was one of his greatest strengths. I mean, he's already a big guy to begin with. So being mm-hmm. able to leverage some of that strength, I think, was what provided a lot of the separation that we were able to see back when, I mean, Arizona was such a fun offense, even with, I think, actually, if I'm not mistaken, that might have been John Skelton throwing him the ball, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> oh, I mean, if, if, we can, if we can go all the way back to that guy, I think that was who the quarterback was at the time. So think about that for a second. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald was still a productive receiver with quarterbacks like that throwing him the ball. I mean, which is which is really interesting to me to in order to see, but now fast forwarding it to to current time. So now we're in uh, just this past season uh, when they were playing against. This is the 2018 season when they were playing against the Seahawks, and it's just not the same. I mean, the coverage he's in press coverage, if I'm not mistaken, and then almost immediately we can see that. I mean, he's just not gaining that level of separation that he was able to gain. I mean, so many seasons ago. So walk us through, I guess, what's the difference that you see here? Well, I think you definitely see he's not the same mover anymore, um, which is fair to be expected. Like, I obviously, reception perception goes back to 2014. So the real peak years of Larry Fitzgerald's production is not that that big slot receiver in Bruce Arians' offense and then what he did last year too, you know, we don't have that data on Larry Fitzgerald. We don't know what that player looks like in reception perception, but pretty much all we have on him is being this type of guy. So you could say that, okay, maybe this is just what he's been for the last several years. And I I think that's somewhat true. Uh, Like, I don't know that 2018 was this big drop off year for Fitz, but yeah, the strength is the the same upper body explosion and strength is not there anymore. Um, And I think that's what you see here to me. You know, you're not getting that clean release at all because the corner gets the hand on him right away. And I don't know that this is indicative of everything that you're seeing from Larry Fitzgerald now, but I think the play, the reason the play goes wrong here is again, the corner gets his hands on him right away and he's never able to get off. Now, I am wondering though, now with we're, we're going to see Arizona, I mean, it's just it's a complete overhaul. I'm excited about what Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray are going to be doing, what the Cardinals are going to be installing this season. I mean, do you think that there should be still a level of optimism for Larry Fitzgerald within that offense just because of the type of offensive scheme that should be put in place for the 2019 season? Well, I think we should all be excited about what's going on in Arizona because it's different. Um, There should be so many wide-open windows because of the way they're going to spread the field and they're going to use – you know, three to four or even four, which is which is wild. You just don't see this very often uh, for receivers at the NFL level. So that's exciting. I think the fact that they have younger pieces around him is exciting. Also, with Kyler Murray's ability to move around, that's something that a veteran receiver like a Larry Fitzgerald could benefit from because he gets seconds at, at winning, even if he doesn't win with 
elite separation or elite technique right away. You know, think about what Doug Baldwin and Russell Wilson did for so many years with each other, which is that improvisational ability. So that's something that if he gets that early communication down with Kyler Murray, then that's something where he could really still be a very, very helpful player in his final one to two seasons. And as the resident Cardinals fan, as of three hours ago, um, I, I think you're going to wish you picked the Cardinals because this thing's going to be so exciting. I've petitioned to completely throw out last year's Arizona Cardinals for any players, which makes it very hard because that was a very uh, pivotal year for Larry Fitzgerald. He was being drafted very highly in the redraft community. Uh, he was still going for a late second, early third in Dynasty. So, you know, higher than he's going for now i'd like to mention for the listeners that the burst was visible in the first video now both videos are in slow motion but it seemed like he came off the ball with with an intensity that just isn't there anymore Um, but i'd like to go back and say that he's still able to succeed because he did reluctantly transfer to that slot role and i i say reluctantly but it really probably made him millions and millions of dollars Uh, i highly doubt that he'd be playing on the outside still but it it goes to show that he's still probably going to find some success this year and that kind of alludes to what you mentioned earlier that maybe easier isn't the right way to put it but um the slot position is definitely uh a more sought out position for a wide receiver who's trying to elongate his career. And I think it bodes for some positivity in Larry Fitzgerald this season. Yeah, I think you could say easy, but it really is just the, it's a lower degree of difficulty for sure. Because again, because of the type of targets that you're going to see and you're going to see higher percentage targets on the inside. uh, And, and that's just the reality of it. But you're right to point out that for some of these receivers, there's a there's a lack of interest in it because it's it's new and Fitz gets credit for it. But, yeah, it was a reluctant change from he wasn't necessarily totally on board with it right away. And that's uh, I think that's important, an important thing to keep in mind that not only do they have to have the skill set for it, they also have to want to do it. And we all know if we don't want to do something, that makes it a little harder. Right. Regardless of the type of uh, situation that they're going to be in, regardless of the fact that it's going to extend their contract, extend their career or whatever. I mean, it's just, if that's not in your bag of tricks, then there's no sense trying to, you know, fit a square peg into a round hole, that type of thing. And I'm, I'm hoping to see him play for at least another season, another couple of seasons. I'm excited to see what a, an offensive scheme with a, a, great quarterback at least what i'm hoping kyler turns into a great quarterback along with the great offensive schemer like uh cliff kingsbury i mean i'm really hoping that this offense takes off and uh, i'm I'm really hoping to i'm really excited to see i'm really fascinating to see how this turns out Uh, but now moving on to another type of wide receiver i know matt that you you stated earlier that i mean you're, you're a route snob and I think now that, uh, you know, the reception perception and just the nuances of wide receiver play has now started to come into, I guess, into the forefront of, uh, I guess, receiver evaluation, that is something that a lot of people start to pick up. And I'm, I'm sorry, but this is just this is just me. But I'm I'm struggling to find somebody that does it better than Stefan Diggs, man. I mean, he's just, when you watch him play, I'm still remembering, I believe there was a GIF that was out on Twitter, this was probably like six or seven months ago, where he releases from the line and somebody had photoshopped him, like somebody dribbling a ball, like in between his legs as he's releasing. 
because it just looks like that's what he's doing when he releases, and he's still able to create separation seemingly at will, and it's just been it's just been a blast watching him run routes. So that's the next guy I wanted to bring up because I think when you talk about being able to run routes, create separation, that's one of the guys that you almost have to highlight. Uh, so this is from uh, Philadelphia Week 5, and... I don't know like what he winds up doing to I think that's Ronald Darby if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me pull this up real quick. Uh, but he winds up juking this man and just leaving him in the dust like at the at the top of the route. It almost looks like he pushes off, but at the same time he just immediately shifts his weight and his body is in a completely different spot almost a split second later. So these are the things that you're looking for. Uh, as you're evaluating, I don't think any, I don't think you've seen any rookies do that, or maybe you did see something in, in digs as a, um, as a rookie or as a prospect that almost you kind of saw some of this coming. Is that true? So a few things. Number one, the three best route runners in the NFL are Stefan Diggs, Antonio Brown, and Odell Beckham, in my opinion. Um, so, I, and if just based if you if you look based on the data that I collect, I think that's what you'd come to that conclusion. So you're right to say that you're struggling to find few who do it better than Stefan Diggs because I think he's top three, if not number one, on this list. So important to point out there that yes, this is the type of thing that I'm looking for. This is the type of thing that gets me jazzed up. And you're also right to say that you did see some of those signs in Stefan Diggs first year in the NFL there was the game his first game against the Broncos you saw him take into work some pro bowl level cornerbacks in that game simply because of the route technique and the discipline and that's why again when I see a player like Curtis Samuel start to show those signs start to look like a young Stefan Diggs you got to get excited I think you got to get excited um, and what makes this route so good is that there's a number of things right you know again he goes inside to get the to get the inside leverage on the cornerback here which he maintains throughout um he he doesn't tip the route at all with his eyes or his head you see he's disciplined in the early portion of it to keep his eyes downfield and then the head fake to the inside and the, the hip dip to the inside gets the corner to bite on it and when he just go slides back the other direction i mean that's just pure that's a mix of pure athleticism along with the technique. And that's when you get a play like this, where he's just so wide open that it's just a, a layup throw that even Kirk Cousins still makes him reach out for, by the way. Um, right. Yeah. I believe <laughs> if that had been a bit more on target, he would have been upfield another 20 yards or so. Right. And as a oh, Maryland Terrapin fan, <laughs> I, I think that Stefan Diggs is the best, uh, route runner in the league as well I definitely concur on that I obviously watch a, a small percentage of the amount of film that you watch Matt but uh, I think it has to be intriguing when you watch a wide receiver run around and think that he's going to tear his hamstring off uh, from a cut and it it's simply because all of his body weight goes onto his pivot foot and then as Chris said in a half second, he's in a totally different position, which creates that separation that you could actually chart. I mean, he's probably up there in separation created. I'd have to imagine. I'm not sure if that's a, a data point that you collect. Yeah, I mean, he's up. He's up there. You know, uh, last year in the NFL uh, in reception perception, he was number one in success rate versus man coverage, and he he dipped by a percentage point this year. So. 
yeah, over the, he's become and again, there were early signs in his career that he was going to be a good player, but then he's take he's gotten better every single year. And you've seen that in the way that he's released against press coverage that we see here. That's gotten better um, to the point that his his success rate has jumped each of the last two years. So, yeah, I mean, Diggs, I, I could sit here. Diggs, is, I agree. He's a phenomenal player, and he's the perfect example of, yeah, if you can master technique and it, it makes you look like a freak athlete like this sometimes because you'll put these receivers in real bad positions. And I'll add exactly the opposite of the player that Chris is about to mention, who I really hope does well. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, I guess one more point on Stefan Diggs. So as we're talking about, I guess, the, the route technique, and I'm assuming this is going to be an easy answer for you, Matt, but when you see what he's able to do right now and, you know, he's still considered like one of the younger receivers. I mean, we're hoping to see him play for, gosh, I'm hoping at least another five, six years. But obviously the concern with Stefan Diggs is always the injuries. He's always seems to be nursing uh, some sort of lower body injury. And that's been the case for the past few seasons now. But let's say he makes it into the his age 29, age 30 season. With what he's able to display on tape right now, do you have any concerns in terms of him having the skill set to transition into what we've seen uh, Larry Fitzgerald turn into as he starts to get older? No, I mean, if you remember a couple of years ago, Diggs was actually playing that slot receiver position. Um, Think about the 2016 season. You know, he comes out and has this monster game in week one against the Packers um, where he just rips them up you know, shows that, oh, yep, he's translating that route running ability that we saw as a rookie. This is tremendous. Good stuff. Then as the year went on, uh, Pat Shermer takes over as the coordinator. They create, because what do you know? They have pass protection issues. They still have pass protection issues. You're getting the ball out of Sam Bradford's hands super quick, and Diggs then moves into the inside from the outside, and you look at him as this guy that's – I think he catches 80-plus passes that year because he's playing on the inside. you know. And then I will never – Chris, you, you listen to the old NFL Fantasy Podcast, so I'm sure you, you can remember in your, in your mind me uh, complaining about well, – shock, I'm complaining about something. Right. Um, what really was getting on my nerves had, had, heading – yeah, I know. Heading into the 2017 season when the news came out that – they were going to move Adam Thielen to the slot receiver position and Diggs was going to play outside. And the amount of questions I had to field, the amount of hand-wringing in the fantasy community <laughs> over could Stefan Diggs play outside? Like, what are we, you know, what are we doing? And I mean, I was pounding the table at that point that reception perception would actually show that this move is good for both players because Diggs could release versus press coverage and be a great separator versus man where Thielen is actually not, you know, Thielen's the guy that gets to play that. It's not quite as juiced up as a Juju or a Cooper cup or whatever, but that big slot receiver role is a better fit for him because he's not the natural route runner, the natural separator. I mean, people think he is cause he's white, but he's not the natural route runner and separator that a guy like Stefan Diggs is. And if you, I think if you watch him route by route, I don't know how you could possibly not come to that conclusion. So, you know, yeah. So I, all that trip down crusty memory lane uh, <laughs> to get to the point of yeah, I think Diggs, much like Antonio Brown, because I think those two really are such similar players. We, I mean, we've seen Diggs already take that skill set as a route runner from the outside to the inside, 
And I think that now he's back on the outside. If if it comes to it someday, he could transition into that role because of the uh, of not just the agility, but the technique that he plays with. I remember that happening as well and getting a similar reaction. I remember watching Diggs play at, at Maryland, uh, being being local, and when when that change happened as a Thielen fan, I was all for it because. I think that Diggs has the ability to run routes out of any position on the field. Um, so when that change happened, I thought it was fantastic because, like you said, he, uh, Thielen is going to get to benefit from those uh, easy targets is, mm-hmm. is what we're rolling with. So that was such an exciting move, and I remember people being so bent out of shape about it. And I remember thinking, just, just go watch. Just go yeah. watch his routes. I mean, everyone's relying on re- reception perception, but then they get mad when you tell them, that it's going to be okay or that it doesn't match their narrative. Well, then you go watch because I'm telling you that Stefan Diggs is going to be completely fine wherever you line him up and everyone should love Adam Thielen. So this is great for him. I was very jazzed about that. Yeah. It's one of those things that like, I remember getting so annoyed about that, you know, you know, would you have no control over how people react to things that like now I wouldn't, I wouldn't get so annoyed about that. You know, several, like at this point in my life, I mean, it was only like two, two or three yeah, years, two years ago, ago. two years ago. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't react that way now, but I remember getting so annoyed, like having that bother, like bothered me so much. And like, it's one of those things that I'm going to look back in like 20 years and I'll remember it. And literally no one else will that like, do you remember when, you know, I was telling my future theoretical kids, you know, there's a point, kids, there was a point when remember when Hall of Famer Stefan Diggs was gonna play on the gonna play <laughs> on the outside and people freaked out about it and they'd be like, What the hell are you talking about, dude? Like, get out go outside. It's one yeah. of those things that no one no one will ever remember, but I it will stick with me uh, until the day I die. Oh, dad's arguing about Stefan Diggs again. Oh, <laughs> man, everybody just run away. Put him um, outside. Yeah, put him outside. Okay, all right. So uh, one more receiver that we wanted to talk with you about tonight. So I think we've transitioned from the older veterans to one of the current veterans that, that we know and love. But now we're t- now we need to talk about some some prospects or one of the rookies. And I think one of the I mean, you had the conversation with with Hollywood Brown. Excellent conversation, and also I really dug the the rookie orientation episode that you that you had. Uh, if folks don't ha- haven't listened to it already, definitely go check that out. Um, but the one that I wanted to focus on was was DK Metcalf, and I think one of the biggest things that when it came to when it went from the uh, the draft community and seeing how fast he could run, but then it was now we're trying to I guess reconcile the agility drills that everybody saw and then freaked out about. Uh, from the combine because okay he can run fast but he can't bend i guess that's what everybody took from the from those combine drills and from your perspective i mean what is it that you're that you can expect to see or what are you expecting out of the seahawks when it comes to uh, what you saw out of his out of his talents like when reviewing some of his tapes uh, so one of the plays that I was able to pull up here from him is actually he's releasing now from, I think, from the outside. He's now towards the bottom of the screen. And you can see here in this particular example, uh, as compared to, let's say, Larry Fitzgerald, Stefan Diggs, any of those other guys, where you can see the immediate separation from the receiver, like on, uh, from the receiver and the cornerback. In this case, so DK Metcalf, number 14, towards the bottom of the screen just not able to create that level of separation even on a route like that 
Now, is that something that we can typically expect to see from DK? Is that not how you expect him to be used in the Seahawks offense? Or is this something that he really has to try and, I guess, learn how to do or learn how to perfect his technique as a wide receiver as he transitions into the pros? Yeah, I don't know. I actually like this route, I think, more than you do. Um, And so, number one, by the way, rookie orientation, uh, one of our upcoming episodes in like the first few weeks of July will be on will be on DK Metcalf. And he will be featured on that episode as well, because we sat down and chatted with him before the draft too. a lot of thoughts. Um, But I actually like. I actually like DK Metcalf a lot against press coverage. You know, th- this cornerback lining up close to the line of scrimmage on him. I like that he sticks one leg outside and comes back quickly to the inside. And just this is all you want DK Metcalf to do right here. You know, and at that top of the route there, he gets just enough separation that if he's, if the ball is on him there, he's going to catch it on a quick slant and he's going to create yards up to the catch because he's we know how fast he is. We know how freaky he is in the open field. And this is my point with DK Metcalf is – just keep it simple, you know, just keep it simple. Keep it something light and relaxed in terms of the route assignments because is DK Metcalf going to be a Stefan Diggs, a Larry Fitzgerald level route runner? No, probably not. Um, but I think he can create enough separation on a small handful of routes because he is a freaky mover and he's very strong and quick off the line of scrimmage because of just his pure athleticism. You know, especially if a cornerback gets his hands on him, DK is going to probably win most of those battles that he's going to lose. Um, So I liken him a lot to a player like Des Bryant. People thought that Des Bryant was always just a jump ball receiver. And based on the last time we saw him, I think that's how we remember him. As I was mentioning, the reception perception data earlier would back that up as well. But Let's not forget that Des Bryant back in like 2014 had elite separation numbers, not because he's some great technician or he's some great route runner, but because he was a freak show explosion explosion wise. I mean, he was he was a, a total freak athlete. And I think that DK has some of those abilities. Plus, he's strong off the line of scrimmage, just like Des. Plus, he's str- tough at the catch point, just like Des. And I think if Seattle asks him to write or ask him to run the right type of routes and keep it simple for him, I think DK could be a very, very productive player, even though he d- he has clearly discernible, defined flaws as a player. Matt, I'm sorry to kidnap you and give you my DK sales pitch, but I've got to see if you agree. So <laughs> it'll have to step outside of reception perception a little because I've got to say he probably doesn't have a very good score. The, the thing, the problem that we find with DK is that he's very choppy. You see that training camp video some people are excited about, some people hate it, is because he's taking seven steps. That's not going to work. It's not. I talked about earlier with Stefan Diggs. He puts one foot in the ground. It looks like he's going to tear his quad off of his, of, off of his bone, and then a second later he's created five yards of separation. That's not what you're going to get out of DK, DK Metcalf. Okay, so I was beating the drum uh, – anti-DK when he was being drafted 102 in rookie mocks uh, for Dynasty, but he's not anymore. He's going super flex 108, 109-ish, and I'm all for it because he landed in the situation that is conducive to what he does well. Now, he's never going to score highly um, in a route running category, and I I don't think that should be an argument. I think that's very clear. Uh, Some people tried to hold on to the fact that he was a good route runner. And I just think on those end breaking routes, he's just, it's not going to be tight enough 
for an NFL quarter to not jump it. That's my opinion on TK Metcalf. However, if you give him three steps off the line of scrimmage, his three steps seem to equate to three to four choppy steps with a pivot for a cornerback. There's not even elite level cornerbacks in this league, in my opinion, that are going to stay on DK's hip. So what's that going to do? I'm I'm pretty sure you're a fan of Tyler Lockett. I know Chris is. It's probably going to mean there's going to have to be a safety over top, and that's going to look good for Tyler Lockett. But when there's not a safety over top because Tyler Lockett does Tyler Lockett things that everyone's excited about, I think it's going to bode very well for DK Metcalf. I'm not sure if you agree with that. Have him run the slant. Have him run a nine. Have him run a post, and I don't really care how he performs on the rest of the on the rest of the routes on the tree, because 100%. you're you're completely right to to mention. Um, I'll pull up a couple player examples for for this. You know, Josh Gordon. Um, there's not a lot of positive you can say about the Hugh Jackson tenure in uh, in Cleveland. <laughs> But I really liked the way they used Josh Gordon in the, his first year back there. It, the year they won zero games. <laughs> um, I like that they didn't just throw him back out at X receiver. As you mentioned, they got him, you know, they used him off the line of scrimmage a lot as that flanker receiver, which allows him that free release, which means that corner is not going to be. And I'm, I like, like I said, I like DK versus press coverage for how tough he's going to be. But if he's able to get that free release on like a vertical route, you know, in, get into the post, get into the nine, those strides that you correctly pointed out, those are going to come into play there. It's going to get him that extra step of separation that he might not earn naturally, but that will come based on his deployment. And, oh, by the way, another guy who does that really well that just had a nice second season in the NFL is Mike Williams. No one thinks Mike Williams is a good separator because he's not. You know, he finished below the 30th percentile in success rate versus man in press coverage last year. That's not his game. However, two routes that he scored very well on, the post and the nine route, because Mike Williams takes three steps. That's, you know, more than many other cornerbacks are not keeping up with just his straight line ability to stride. And DK is a much bigger freak than Mike Williams. And I think they're, I mean, obviously they're both good as a catch receiver. So if Mike Williams can do that in that role, I think DK Metcalf can succeed in a similar role. And again, there are a lot of examples. There's a range of outcomes for DK Metcalf. And I think they're all very appealing. You know, he can be just a big play threat like Mike Williams was in his second year. Mike Williams scored 10 touchdowns and made a lot of plays down the stretch for the L.A. Chargers. He can be Josh Gordon in that Browns offense in 2017 that, look, if Deshaun Kaiser was a much better quarterback, I think people would be much more – it would remember that season more fondly. But Josh Gordon was a positive force in that offense, despite the fact that he took like five damn years off football. And and lastly, the range of outcomes also exists – that he becomes Des Bryant, who is not was not a good route runner, was not a good separator across the tree, but could win on the post, could win on the nine, could win on the slant. And and he could do more than I think maybe DK ends up doing. But nevertheless, that's a high end of the range of outcomes there. But all those are appealing. And I think that they're more likely that he lands somewhere in that range than, you know, he's you know, someone that can't separate at all. I, I think that I think there's a if you use him the right way. 
And you trust, maybe you trust Seattle to do that. Maybe you don't, but he is with the perfect quarterback fit. Sure. I think you can be really excited about DK Metcalf's future. Without that on hand, I would imagine that Russell Wilson is a much more prone to throwing in tight windows than Dak. I'm not sure if either of you can uh, concur with that, but that's another reason why I think it, if he reaches the other range of outcomes that I don't exactly predict in which he could just muscles his way to receptions, which he obviously can at the guy. I think that Russell Wilson is also more prone to just throw, uh, throw the ball at a window. And I think he can do well there as well. I definitely think that's the case. I don't have any numbers off offhand, but just looking at Wilson's style of play, I would think that would be more, I guess, more indicative of what he would do versus Dak. So I would have to agree with you there. I mean, but I mean, goodness gracious, Matt. I mean, thank you so much. I mean, we've we've covered a lot tonight. I mean, I think we've hit pretty much, I think, as much about wide receiver talk as possible. Uh, But before we get you on out of here, man, I know you've already teased a couple of things that uh, a couple of projects that you're working on as of right now. But if there's anything else that you would want to kind of tell the folks about before we get you on out of here tonight, man, the the floor is yours. Yeah, if there's one thing I know how to do, it's a hawk a product. So, uh, yeah, I've already uh, (laughs) I've already talked a little bit about a few of the things I'm working on right now. You know, reception perception, some of the data that I've mentioned tonight is out there already. It's available in the Fantasy Footballers Ultimate Draft Kit. If you're curious, you want to hear more about it, you can just hit up reception perception, the hashtag on Twitter. Uh, you'll see the charts, the graphics, some of the, the blurbs and analysis that go along with it. And if you want access to everything, you just go to receptionperception.com. There's a link to buy the ultimate draft kit there. Check it out. I promise you won't be disappointed. You'll you'll definitely learn something about wide receivers um, because I learn a lot doing this every single year. And if I'm learning something, I, I promise you will too. Um, and yeah, Rookie Orientation is a podcast I'm doing right now uh, in conjunction with Yahoo Sports. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's different. It's not your typical podcast where it's two people having a conversation. We really weave it into a story, which requires a lot of editing on the uh, podcast team's part. So shout out to them. Uh, And uh, yeah, right now our next episode is going to be Noah Fant coming on Monday. This past Monday we had Josh Allen, which was probably my favorite one to write. Um, If you have kids, check that one out. It's it's good in time for, for Father's Day coming up. Um, and yeah, then we have a few others coming down the line, which of course I mentioned DK Metcalf. He will be on an episode in the next couple of weeks as well. Awesome, man. And I, I can't wait to check that one out. Actually, I've got the Josh Jacob one, or not Josh Jacobs, Josh Allen uh, one loaded, but I'm definitely looking forward to that DK Metcalf one because again, I think it's a lot of the uh, the narrative surrounding his agility, what he can do, but I think the and that's the the pessimism. But of course, the optimism is his situation, right? Like who, mm-hmm. and as you perfectly pointed out, the fact that he's paired with one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So I think we have to really take his whole situation into context before we start kind of writing him off or trying to push him down the board uh, for the 2019 season. So, um, Adam, do we have anything else for the folks before we get on out of here tonight? Absolutely. Thank you so much for nerding out with us, Matt. I see your content everywhere. It's very thought-provoking, and it makes us better owners, so we all appreciate that. And to the listener, thank you for joining us for the first installment of the positional series. We've gone over wide receiver. We'll have the other three major position groups with some other major guests, so please tune into that. Like, comment, retweet, follow us at Dynasty Manual. Follow me at APWILDE, and thanks for coming out. 
All right, and of course, uh, for for Matt, for Adam, uh, I'm Chris. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. We thank you all for tuning in, and we'll catch you all next week. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic.